Well, good morning. It's good to see your faces this morning. If you would please turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. If you're using the Bibles provided for you in the pews, it's page 417. Psalm 78. Now these psalms are a collection of songs divinely inspired, and they're meant to be sung. I'm not going to sing them for you today, but I am going to ask Pastor Sean to come up. We're going to sing a duet for you. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, No, we're not going to sing any duets, but this psalm is meant to be sung. The people of Israel were called to sing it over and over again, to sing praises to God. And, and so I think to do uh, justice to this song, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 specifically, but I believe that the most important thing that's going to be said from this pulpit this morning is the words of God, not my own. So we're going to read the entire psalm. Uh, so if you would please uh, have some perseverance along with me and follow along as I read aloud. Psalm 78. A masculine of Asaph, Asaph, excuse me, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast whose spirit was not faithful to God. The Ephraimites, armed with the bow, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zoan. He divided the sea and let them pass through it and made the waters stand like a heap In the daytime, he led them with a cloud, and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God, saying, Can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rocks so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? Therefore, when the Lord heard, he was full of wrath. A fire was kindled against Jacob. His anger rose against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his saving power. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven, and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of the angels. He sent them food in abundance. He caused the east wind to blow in the heavens, and by his power he let out the south wind. He rained meat on them like dust, winged birds like the sand of the seas. He let them fall in the midst of their camp all around their dwellings, and they ate 
and they were filled, for he gave them what they craved. But before they, had their, uh, before they had satisfied their craving, while the food was still in their mouths, the anger of God rose against them, and he killed the strongest of them and laid low the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they still sinned. Despite his wonders, they did not believe. So he made their days vanish like a breath and their years in terror. When he killed them, they sought him. They repented and sought God earnestly. They remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast toward him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity and did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. When he performed his signs in Egypt and his marvels in the fields of Zoan, he turned their rivers to blood so that they could not drink of their streams. He sent among them swarms of flies which devoured them and frogs which destroyed them. He gave their crops to the destroying locust and the fruit of their labor to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamores with frost. He gave over their cattle to the hail and their flocks to the thunderbolts. He let loose on them his burning anger, wrath, indignation, and distress, a company of destroying angels. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave their lives over to the plague. He struck down every firstborn in Egypt, the first fruits of their strength in the tents of Ham. Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. He led them in safety so that they were not afraid, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. And he brought them to his holy land, to the mountain which his right hand had won. He drove out nations before them. He appointed them for a possession and settled the tribes of Israel in their tents. Yet they tested and rebelled against the Most High God and did not keep his testimonies, but turned away and acted treacherously like their fathers. They twisted like a deceitful bow. For they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard, he was full of wrath and he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh, the tent where he, he dwelt among mankind, and delivered his power to captivity, his glory to the hand of the foe. He gave his people over to the sword and vented his wrath on his heritage. Fire devoured their young men, and their young women had no marriage song. Their priests fell like the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, like a strong man shouting because of wine, and he put his adversaries to rout. He put them to everlasting shame. He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built his sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth which he has founded forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, 
from following the nursing ewes he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skilled hand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his wisdom as we look at this text this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you've given us this song to, uh, to learn and understand and know. I wish we could sing it, but Father, I, hope that you, I ask that you would help us to understand what your people Israel needed to know as they recited this song to one another. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This Thursday is May 25th, 2017. And you're thinking to yourself, so what? Is that your birthday, Matthew? You're trying to tell the whole congregation? No, my birthday's not May 25th. May 25th is a special day because it's the 40th anniversary of something very important to some of us that happened on May 25th, 1977. And I'm going to ask my son Judah to help me out. What happened on May 25th, 1977? The first episode of Star Wars was released. Yes, the first episode of Star Wars was released. Yay, hooray. You're probably looking at me like, where is he going with this? Yes. Yeah, Star Wars, the very first episode that came out in theaters was actually episode four for you Star Wars nerds. You follow along, right? Episode four. What was the name of that episode? Does anybody know? A New Hope. All right. Yes, there are some other fellow nerds out there. That's excellent. Star Wars, A New Hope came out 40 years ago this Thursday. Now, if some of you went and saw Star Wars when it first came out originally in the theaters. Congratulations, I just made you feel really old. <laughs> 40 years ago, A New Hope. And I love the Star Wars saga. My, my, my kids and I, we watch it. My mom loves it probably more than any of us. Uh, we, we, love, we love to watch Star Wars. But I love the, the title of episode four. And, and if, once you get into the story, you understand what it's about. It's about a new hope. A new hope. And if you've seen the most recent Star Wars-y movie that came out last year, it's called A Rogue One. And what's great about it is actually the story that leads up to the movie that came out 40 years ago. And so you get to see the struggle that takes place so that the characters of our old favorite friends, Han and Luke and Leia and Chewie and all those guys, they have hope for a reason because of what a group did leading up to their story. And so if you're following along with me, if not, that's okay. I promise this sermon will not be about Star Wars. <laughs> but if you remember the story in, in Rogue One, it's bittersweet to watch the lead characters, Jin Erso and Cassian, as they embrace and, and they're disintegrated knowing that they achieved the thing that they were willing to give their lives for the perpetuation of hope. The rebellion faced insurmountable odds and could only achieve victory by the slimmest of margins and through an unwavering commitment, they accomplished the task of passing on hope. In our passage this morning in Psalm 78, the people of Israel are in a very similar situation. God had promised hundreds of years before to make a nation out of their father Abraham and that one day he would have a seed and that through that seed all the nations of the world would be blessed. 
God then continued to deliver his people in Egypt through Moses and through Aaron and the 10 plagues. God provided for them in the wilderness and he gave them the law so that they would not forget his promises and so that they would continue to obey him. But they rebelled in the wilderness and they again rebelled after they had conquered the land of Canaan under Joshua. They repeatedly showed their unfaithfulness to God. But God was doing something new for them in establishing David, a man after God's own heart, as the new king over Israel. He was the beginning of a new phase of God's plan to deliver his people through a new kingly line. But the challenges of faithfulness to God's purpose was as daunting as they were in past generations. The threat was not removed. David appointed Asaph, the writer of our song in Psalm 78, to be one of his lead worship directors and songwriters. We see that in 1 Chronicles chapter 15. And the burden of Asaph's heart, as we read Psalm 78, is that he longs to write a song that would help God's people Israel continue and perpetuate faithfulness to the covenant that God had made with them by recounting the wondrous things that the Lord had done for them. So in Psalm verses 1 through 8, we're given the very purpose for which he eloquently describes all of the journeys of God's people Israel so that they would never forget. And in verses 1 through 8, he tells us that critical purpose. Asaph says, the only hope for the next generation in Israel was if they would hear and remember the great deeds of God and put their confidence only in Him. This was their hope. They had shown a pattern of continual, repeated cycles of repentance, calling on God, God delivering them, and then they fall back into sin. They're so easy, uh, forget so easily. And before you judge too quickly, don't forget, friends, you and I, it's human nature. We are quick to forget. Asaph says, we cannot let the generations come forget the story of God's deliverance. It's the only hope they have for the future. So I'm not just going to write it down. We're going to sing it is what Asaph says. And so I can imagine, I, I mean, we, that's a lot of words to sing. I mean, where, where's the melody there? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, we have some teaching devices for our kids, and sometimes it's easier to remember things if you put things to song. So Asaph develops this song that is supposed to help God's people remember so that the generations to come might put their hope in God. Verses 1 through 3, Asaph is telling us that we must listen to the story. Look at verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 78 again. It says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we've heard and known that our fathers have told us. He says, I want you to pass on this parable, this dark saying. And and back in those times, yes, they did have written scriptures, particularly the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, which is the law, but a lot of what was passed on was not passed on in written form. It was passed through oral tradition. 
And so they would speak the things that God had done for their ancestors so that the coming generations would know them through parables, through oracles, through these mysterious sayings about things that that God had done. These were the great stories of old of what God had done for his people, how he had done miraculous works for Israel to deliver them. This was their story. This was their hope. This was their identity. This was what excited them. These were the great stories that they loved to hear. They loved to hear the stories about the patriarchs, about how God chose Abraham, how he gave Abraham and uh, Sarah a son in their old age who was Isaac, how Isaac gave birth to Jacob and Esau, and how Jacob would become the father of a great nation. The stories about Jacob's sons, particularly thinking about Joseph and how Joseph was sold into slavery, enslaved in Egypt, and then elevated through God's divine plan because Joseph said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And God elevated Joseph up to be second in command in all of the great kingdom of Egypt. Great stories, great deeds of what God has done. Maybe no greater deeds that God had done up to this point than what he had did through Moses and Aaron to deliver God's people out of enslavement to Egypt by great and mighty awesome deeds of power, of plagues, of things that cannot be explained by by normal uh, uh, acts of nature, but only by the powerful hand of God. And even as the people walked out of Egypt, plundering Egypt without having to lift a finger, As they stood on the shore of the Red Sea and they could see the armies chasing them, what does God do? He parts the Red Sea and they walk across on dry ground. Awesome deeds that God has done. Don't forget, Asaph is saying, listen to the story. Listen to the oracles. Hear what God has done. Don't forget. Don't forget. Listen to the story. Do we listen to the story? Do you hear it? Do you listen to it? You know, you think about God's word, and, and oftentimes, I, I do this too, but we think of it in only a devotional manner. Certainly, it's wonderful for devotion so that you can have your heart moved and touched for you individually, but this book is not primarily a devotional book. It's a book about what God has done. It's not meant just to improve myself. It's meant for me to get caught up in God's story. And when I get caught up in his story, his powerful story transforms my life. We listen to the story. Do we listen to the story of what God has done, his awesome deeds? So Asaph, under the direction of King David, one of the chief worship directors and songwriters in Israel first says in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 78, friends, incline your ear, hear and listen to the story. Verse 4, then, he transitions. He transitions from listening to the story to a commitment about what you do then with the story. Psalm 78, again, verse 4 says, we will not hide them from their children But tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. After Asaph says, I want you to listen to the story, now it's time for us to make the commitment to pass the story on, to pass on the story. Listen to the story and pass it on. 
I believe that verse 4 really is the whole hinge of the entire song. In verse verse 4, we find a commitment that's actually put to music that Asaph's and David's generation would not allow the next generation to become ignorant about the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. Again, he says, we're not going to hide it from them. I'm not going to put anything in the way. Well, you know, I don't know what it was back then. They didn't have video games or television. I don't know what it is that would have distracted the kids. But whatever it was, back in Asaph's time, he says, we're not going to let anything get in the way from allowing the next generation to see and to hear and to understand the glorious deeds of the Lord. We're going to sing this commitment together. We will not hide it from our children, but we're going to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done. He says, we've got to make the commitment together, friends. We've got to get in this together. If there's any hope for the future, we've got to be about this. It's a community project. I I love grammar. I love what it says right there. It's that right there at the beginning of verse 4, it's that first person plural pronoun. We, not I, not you, not he, she, or it, but we, we will tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord. It's a commitment to pass it on. First Asaph says again, listen, incline your ear, open your ears so that you will hear the good the good news, the story. Now we're going to stand together and we are going to make a commitment to not hide it, but to pass it on. And I love what it says in verses five through eight. Again, it says, he established the testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. The children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Verses 1 through 3, Asaph says, listen to the story. Verse 4 says, make the commitment to pass on the story. And then he says, and then we can watch God raise up a faithful generation who respond to the story. God had established his covenant, and and Asaph's referring back to something that God had given them. Because you see, oral tradition, after a while, it it doesn't become very reliable. You know, you ever heard the story about, you know, that that Uncle Tony or whatever who who went out fishing, right? And he came back and he said, oh man, this fish was, was this big, right? And then the next time you see him and he's telling the story to somebody else, and what happens? The fish went from this big to this big. And then he tells it a third time that the fish went from this big to this big. The story gets changed over and over again as we tell the story. Oftentimes we embellish and we change it and God knows that. And so he gave something to his people to say, I want you to pass this on. Asas referring to it here. Turn with me if you would to Deuteronomy 
chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. God had given his people something that they could have so that they would not forget. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, say this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now listen to how this is passed on. These words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to who? Your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. God had given his people something that they could look back on that they had in writing and we have it here, one of the greatest passages of all the Old Testament, certainly one of the greatest passages that was at the core of the, of the people of Israel was this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So important. And here's how you respond. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have within you, all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. There's nothing greater from Old Testament to New Testament, friends, for Israel or for the church than for us to respond with unabandoned love for our God. How were they to pass on this great task of knowing the one true God and loving him with all your heart. These words, verse 6 of Deuteronomy 6, that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. What, 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 what Moses is saying and what God is saying in Deuteronomy is that pass it on. Pass it on, friends. Pass it on. The hope for generations to come to remain faithful to this covenant that God has made with you, Israel, is if you talk about it, if you share it, if it becomes a part of your language, if it becomes a part of your identity, if it becomes a part of your culture, because if you don't make it a part of your regular, regular life about the things that you say, the things that you know, your kids are going to forget it and they're going to walk away. Now, coming back to Psalm 78, Asaph knows that God's people, they forgot. They didn't follow Deuteronomy 6 very well. Some of, some of them did, but many did not, and they forgot, and they abandoned God, and they were punished, and then they had to call upon God to save them over and over and over again, and Asaph knows that, and he says, he wrote it to us before, and we forgot it, and now we're going to sing it. We're going to sing about the glorious deeds of the Lord. It was so crucial for them to never, ever forget. But, oh, friends, listen to this beautiful intended result that when God's people would commit to passing on the story, here's what would happen. Verses 7 and 8. So that they, of Psalm 78, excuse me, so that they should set their hope in God. 
and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they would break the cycle of forgetting. Break the cycle of having to be judged. Break the cycle of being punished and not having hope because they're quick to forget. Verse 7, it says that, that, that this next generation would put their hope in God. And, and some of your translations in New American Standard and, and New International may have that word there for hope as trust or confidence. See, this word could be negatively used of those who f- are foolishly confident about the future without reason. But when it's used in relation to God, it means hope, trust, and confidence. You see, the quality of this word, whether you translate it hope, trust, or confidence, the quality of the word is tied to the object that receives this action. How one feels about the future is either foolish or confident. Now, on the negative side, we've seen this, right? Young people who are sitting here today, I've been where you're at, and uh, a lot of times we're filled filled with a lot of uh, foolish idealism. (laughs) We we think to ourselves, oh, it'll all work out. It'll all work out. What's my, you know, what's my plan for the future? I don't know. I'm going to be rich and I'm going to be famous. I'm going to have, you know, an awesome house and cars and, uh, you know, I'm going to be able to uh, have that wife and kids and, and everything that I ever wanted. What's your plan to get there? I don't know, but I'll get there. It's this foolish idealism that it's just all going to work out without a plan. You've just got this idea that it's just going to work out, and we've all been there. I've been there. It'll all just work out. I love what our Pastor Phil says. If you don't have a plan, you plan to fail. It's this foolish confidence that looks just into the future without any real reason and says, I know it's going to be awesome. But when this word is used in relation to God, it's not foolish idealism, but it's a heart that puts its hope in God. And because it puts its hope in God, it can be full of confidence about the future. All of a sudden, instead of just this foolish idealism, you're looking to the future and saying, I know I've got a hope. I know that I can trust in what's going to happen in the future. I have a confidence that you cannot shake. Why? Because I'm trusting in God. He did it for his people way back for Abraham. He did it for Isaac. He did it for Jacob. He did it for Moses and Aaron as he delivered our people out of Egypt. He did it for Joshua. He did it for the judges. He did it for Samuel. He did it for my King David. And now I know I've got confidence in the future because he did it back then and he's gonna do it for our people in the future. It was the hope of a new generation. And if they didn't hear the story, if it was never passed on to them, all it is is just foolish idealism. You see, the crucial purpose for Asaph in writing Psalm 78 is this. The only hope for the next generation of Israel was that they would hear and remember the great deeds of God and put their confidence only in him. 
Verse four makes it clear. If you look at verse four again with me, it says, we will not hide them from their children. Friends, this was a community project. They were to do it in their homes. They were to do it uh, uh, near, around with the priests. They were to do it wherever they went. It was the community. The neighbors did it for the neighbor kids. The grandparents did it for the grandchildren. It was a community project to pass it on. The hope of God's wondrous deeds for his people was to be recounted everywhere that they went. This was the hope of a new generation. The only way they could have confidence in the future is if the community took it upon themselves to pass it on. We, you and I, on May 21st, 2017, as the church, we're God's people today. In this moment, in this new covenant, We have a new covenant. We don't have the old covenant any longer. That was for Israel. We've got a new covenant today. A new covenant which is the gospel. The gospel, friends. We have a new king. They they had David at that time. We've got someone better than David. In fact, David even said, the Lord says to my Lord, let your enemies be made your footstool. David calls Jesus Lord, we've got a better covenant. We've got a better king, friends. If Israel had something to pass on to the next generation, which was their hope and their trust and their confidence, oh, we as the church today, friends, have even more so. We've not just been delivered out of slavery to Egypt. We've been uh, been delivered from the slavery of bondage to sin and death. We've been forgiven of our sins. We don't just have a land in Canaan. We've got an eternal home, a new Jerusalem in the heavens. We've got a hope that can never be shaken. We've got a high priest who has has accomplished all things through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got the wondrous works and deeds of God to pass on to a new generation. But if we don't do it, they will forget. It is their hope. Our responsibility to perpetuate the story of God's wondrous deeds is as relevant today as it was for Asaph in Psalm 78. Valley Bible Church, your commitment to pass on the story of the awesome deeds of God is the greatest hope for the next generation in Hercules in Rodeo, in Pinole, in the Bay Area, in California, in the United States, in the world. Now, I feel the same temptation that you feel. We watch the news and we weep and we shake our heads and we wonder, is there any hope? Is there anything that can be done? The, the destruction, the hatred, the the morals that are flipped on their head, it seems irreversible. Friends, we've been given a hope that can give confidence in the future for a new generation. Will we listen to the story, though? Will we listen to the story? Are we willing to to crack open our Bibles for ourselves and say, I want to make sure I know the story. Am Am I willing to listen to it? Am I willing to hear it? Am I willing to find my place 
as a part of it. And maybe you're here today and you've never put yourself in the story. Maybe you've never made God your savior. Maybe you've never called upon him. You're outside of his kingdom because you're still walking in sin and death. Today, God can make you a part of his story. It's as simple as trusting in him. You turn from your sin and say, I'm done walking in my own direction. That foolish idealism, I'm gonna put my hope in God from now on. He can do it for you today. But will we listen to the story? And then will we make a commitment, even today, to say, I am going to make sure that I do everything I can to pass on the story. Because I know that this generation that is coming up, they only have one hope, and that's if they hear God's story. I will make the commitment to pass on the story. And friends, I, I believe that God doesn't love to say things and then not fulfill promises. He's a promise-fulfilling God. If we listen to the story, if we commit to pass on the story, then just then maybe we will get to see and have the privilege to watch God raise up a new generation who respond to the story They don't have to fear what's out there. They don't have to fear what's happening in their schools. They don't have to fear what's happening in their government. They don't have to fear what's happening worldwide because their hope and their confidence and their trust is in God. Could we see a generation raise up that puts their trust and their hope in God? Well, in Asaph's day, he could have pointed to, you know, a program and said, this is important. And so we're going to have wilderness summer night camp. <laughs> I don't think they would have wanted to do camp out. They're tired of camping. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to do summer night camp, and that's going to solve all our problems. Or we're going to have uh, bungee soccer, and it's going to solve all our problems to pass it on to the next generation. No, Asaph didn't describe a program. He didn't describe an event. He didn't describe an institution that could replace a community of people who were committed to passing it on. You can have the events, you can have the programs. What we need is a community of people who are committed to pass on the story. The the, the programs, the events, are just tools in our hands to get the job done. But we could spend all of our resources and all of our time planning the events, but without you, without the community of God's people committed to passing on the story, they'll fail. They'll fail. Your youth pastor cannot pass the story on to our youth for you. Thank God for Sean Giese and for Manny D'Souza for being committed to leading us and helping us pass the story on to our young people, but they cannot do it. Your children's director cannot do it. Band Slam cannot do it. Summer Night Camp cannot do it. Awana cannot do it. If the next generation is to put their hope in the God who performs wondrous deeds, we must be relentless in our commitment to tell his story. Friends, the events, the stuff that was advertised to you this morning, they're just merely tools. We need you. We need you. We need you hearing the story and committed to passing it on. And then maybe we will see a generation rise up who will put their hope and trust and confidence in God. 
This is a community project. I believe that the Bible has given us at least two, maybe more, but I really believe that these are the two aspects of the community that we're in as, as, a, as a church, uh, locally and globally, uh, two aspects of this community through which this hope transference must take place. How are we going to apply this now? Great, I'm on board, but how do we get this done? I believe there's two perspectives that we have to have as we, as God's people, the church, pass on this hope to the next generation. The first perspective is this. Your family is a church. Your family, your little family, wherever it is that you live, your family is a church. And your home is is a worship center. Who do you worship at that worship center? There's so much, so much, friends, that, that Satan wants to use to distract your little church at your street address or your apartment away from worshiping the one true God. It starts in your homes. It starts in your families. Friends, the perspective that we need to have is that each family represented in this room is a little church. Moms, dads, it's upon you to raise up the next generation and your little church at your home to see them hopefully put their hope in God as you pass on the story. I, my heart is growing for the ministry that grandparents have. We, we have quite a few grandparents in our church that are standing in the gap for perhaps a mom or a dad, that, which is a son or a daughter that may not be well, or, or maybe they've walked away from the Lord. But we've got these godly grandmas and grandpas that stand up and they stand in the gap and say, no matter what it takes, I'm going to reach this one for Jesus. They have the perspective that their family is their little church, that they are trying to pass on the story to the next generation. I love, I love aunts and uncles, the influence that you have on your nieces and nephews. I don't have any brothers and sisters, and so when I go get to visit my wife's family and there's all these nieces and nephews everywhere, it's so fun to get to hang out with them and throw them across the swimming pool, and then when it's time to get in trouble, I say, okay, well, I'll go call your dad. <laughs> I love it. I love that relationship. But oh, I love the times when my wife and I, as auntie and uncle, we could sit around and talk about the glorious deeds of the Lord. Why? Because it's a community project, friends. It's a community project. If I may, if I may adopt the term, it takes a village. It takes you. It takes me. The first perspective we should have is, is your family is a church. Will you answer the call to pass on the only hope for a new generation in your home? First perspective, your family is a church. And the second perspective that I believe we need to have to pass this on to the next generation is this. Your church is a family. Your church is a family. I didn't say the church is like a family. I said the church is a family. Think about the language that, that Paul the Apostle uses when he writes to one of the churches in, in Thessalonica or Colossae or, or in, the, in the regions of Galatia. He says this, to the brothers and sisters, family, family. When Jesus told his disciples, when he taught them to pray, he said, pray in this way, our Father, our Father, we are in God's Family, we call him father. Jesus is called our elder brother. Friends, you who are sitting in the pews that know Jesus Christ, you're my brothers, 
you're my sisters. We are a family. And as a family, we are called to answer God's call to pass on the only hope for a new generation at Valley Bible Church. Your family needs me, and my family needs you. There's a lot of spiritual aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters out there that my kids need as you pour into them because the church is a family. The church is a family. Will we pass it on as family? Or will we look at the generation that's dying away and say, that's their problem? God forbid. The church is a family. Will we answer the call to pass on the only hope for a new generation at Valley Bible Church. I, I want to encourage you. Again, nothing can replace a community. That's why I want to call all of us today. Will we invest in the next generation? We've got some great tools. We've got things like Volleyball Nanus. We've got things like Bungee Soccer, Summer Night Camp, VBC Youth, Kids Ministry. You name it, we try and do it, but it's worthless if we don't have the family of God committed to pass it on so that the next generation would have hope and trust, and confidence. As we close, I want to go back to my Star Wars illustration, if you would indulge me for a moment. <laughs> well, the heroes of the latest Star Wars film, Rogue One, they, they didn't survive their ordeal, but, but they did accomplish their mission. They stole the plans to the Death Star and tra transmitted them up to their allies miles above the planet where they were. And before one of the main characters, before Cassian embraced Jin, and we see their silhouettes fade into oblivion, Cassian, he, he looks at Jin and he tells her, your father would have been proud of you. You see, it was because her father told her, I've got something that can give you hope and that can help you defeat this unbeatable enemy, but you gotta go get it and you gotta steal it from the enemy, but if you don't do it, it, it's all over. And, and, and so he looks at her because she accomplished the task and he says, your father would be proud of you. She had to make a choice about what she was going to do with the information that she received. But she got to die with the satisfaction of knowing that they had given their lives for the perpetuation of a cause greater than themselves. And just as we see the final glimmer of their silhouettes fade away, we see another scene. You see, miles above them, the plans they had stolen were passed on to a new character in the next generation of the saga, Princess Leia, the one with the cinnamon bun uh, hairdo, right? And he's running, and there's a soldier running through the ship with the plans that they had stolen. And, and as, he, as he passes off the plans, uh, he asks her, what are these? What are these for? And I love this. Understanding the magnitude of the exchange, she turned with a smile and responded confidently with one word. It's hope. It's hope. Friends, our, our mission is to pass on something so that another generation would have hope. It's worth giving our lives for. It's, it's worth giving up everything for because the only way a new generation will have trust and confidence and hope for the future is if we hear the story if we pass on the story, and then maybe we will see another generation rise up and have hope.
Let's bow in, in prayer as we close. And I want to challenge you today because I feel challenged in my heart. So I'm going to come down here with you. If there are any dads or grandpas or uncles, anybody in this room that says today, I want to make the commitment. Maybe I've made it before, but I want to make it again. I want to make the commitment to pass on the story of the next generation. Would you stand with me? Stand with me, man, if you, if you feel called to this today. And if there are any moms or grandmas or, or aunties or whoever you may be in the life of a child and say, I want to make the commitment to pass on the story so that the next generation has hope, would you stand with me? Stand with me. And if any of you, maybe you don't have that family unit in your life, but you recognize that, hey, I may not have that physical family, but I'm part of the family that's right here in this church because this church is a family, and you want to make a commitment today to pass it on, would you stand and make that commitment today? Father, I thank you so much for the people in this room. They're not just another person. These are brothers and sisters in Jesus. Please help us to listen to the story. Help us to make the commitment to pass on the story. And Father, as we pass it on at Kids Church, at VBC Youth, at Bungie Soccer and Volleyball Madness and Summer Night Camp, and in our homes as worship centers, would you please raise up another generation so that when they hear the story, they can have hope. Please do it, Father. Help us as we go to be people that are committed to the cause, no matter the cost, so a new generation may have hope. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. God bless. There's all kinds of ways you could sign up to be a part of this community passing on the hope to the next generation. God bless.